open, if you would, to Second Thessalonians. And I'm going to pick on Levi. Can you help me for a minute, buddy? Pass a few things out. Thank you. I appreciate that. There are nine sheets here. I don't think there's enough for everyone to have their own families can share a couple, but you would pass those out, please. This is the music to Isaiah 26, 1 through 4, so that you know what's coming up. I know I caught you by surprise last week, so hopefully this will be, a, be some help to you. But I'd like to open up uh, singing this after we read our text in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll finish up chapter 1 this morning, and then Brother Dennis can lead us on into chapter 2 next week. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Thank you, Levi. I appreciate that, sir. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Thanks, buddy. Verses 11 through 12. <laughs> Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these verses, and I pray that you would help us to make them personal this morning, Lord. As we consider your coming, we know, Lord, the next event on your eschatological calendar is our rapture. Um, and, uh, Lord, we just we look forward to that. We thank you for it. And we also look forward to the day when you will come back to this earth and reign as king. And I pray that you would help us to remember the responsibility that we have as uh, your children, to live before you in holiness and truth and to be a light to others in humility and charity. And we pray that you would help us to apply this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, uh, we'll sing this a cappella, Isaiah 26, 1 through 4. And like I said, this is just a great way to memorize Scripture. And as we think about the return of Christ and his coming kingdom, this is a song, according to the prophet, that will be sung in that day, in the day that Christ rules and reigns over the earth in the day that he chooses Jerusalem to be his uh, kingdom city. All right, so let's open up uh, with verse 1. Ready? Here we go. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter. Open ye the gates that, that the righteous may enter in. Open ye the 
the gates that the righteous may Some of you may have struggled with that because I sing higher. And so if you sing low, I started this off on a fairly high octave. So it's all right. Anyway, uh, that's just something that, uh, take it or leave it. Maybe it's an encouragement to you. Maybe it isn't. All right. This is our lesson. This is our, uh, what we're shooting for this morning. So what we want to get out of it. Will God find us worthy? Will God find us worthy? Uh, I don't know about you. I would assume you have the same mindset. I want to be having confidence before my Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. There's no question about our salvation as we examine this passage this morning when Paul says, uh, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. He's not saying, boy, I just hope that you do enough good religious things that God will be impressed with you and counts you worthy of salvation when he comes back. That's not what he's talking about. We have plenty of other scripture to show us that is not true, nor could it ever be so. So what is he saying then? Well, he's saying, I really am praying that God would continue his work of sanctification in your life, to just put it in different terms. I'm really praying that God, through the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? Peter said the same thing, basically. I'm really praying that God would make you more valuable to himself and to everyone else around him, or around you, uh, by his work of sanctification and purging in your life. So what goes along with that? Well, naturally, if God wants to do that to me, then what is required on my part? This is not just some automatic thing. My positional sanctification in Christ is real. The moment I trusted Jesus as Savior... I was sanctified in him. I was set apart by God unto himself. And so that is something that can never change. Now think of it this way. Have your mom ever say to you, well, um, I'll just use my family name, Bickishes don't act that way. Okay, maybe your mom said something similar to you. Well, there was never any question as to whether you were a Reeve or whether you were a Bickish or whether you were a Bullock. There was never any question of that. That is your family But how you fit in is a question. Whether or not you will uphold the family honor is a question because that requires some cooperation on your part, right, and on mine. And so that's what we see here. The the, the logical conclusion of Paul saying, I pray that God would count you worthy, the logical conclusion of that is that, well, I could be counted unworthy if I don't let him live through me and use me, if I don't let his spirit control my actions every day. If I just let Chris Bickish have his way when he rolls out of bed in the morning, if I just let my default mode, which is the flesh, rule my day, 
without ever thinking about what God wants, well, then there's gonna, I'm not going to be found worthy in this practical sanctification. See, every day is practical sanctification. Every day is learning to be more like Jesus and less like myself. That's not for salvation. That is because of salvation, right? And so will God find us worthy? Well, I certainly hope he will. Our first point is live in a way that is worthy of your divine calling. Wherefore also we pray always for you. Wherefore, you have to go back and look at why he said this. Well, because Jesus is coming back. Because his rapture is near. Because his second return is for sure. Because the king is going to stand on this earth and we're going to give account to him. And because also that while we're here, we have the tremendous opportunity to lead those who don't know him to a knowledge of himself. When Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, uh, and some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He was saying, look, you're all carnal. <laughs> you're living like the world. And because of your carnality, there's people around you who don't have the knowledge of Christ. They can't even see it in your life because you're so carnal. And that is to your shame. And so while we're here, we have the opportunity to lead others to Christ. Wherefore, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. But this will happen only if we are adding to our faith. I am grateful for my salvation, and I hope you are too. That is without question. And it is possible that you and me can become ungrateful for that. But it does not end there. And teaching that just teaches the, the, the foundation of salvation week after week and doesn't build thereon is a dangerous thing. Paul said, I have shunned not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. So we don't pass over things that are inconvenient or hard to be understood. We go through the scriptures in an expository fashion. Not to say there's no place for a topical message. There is, but the primary way I'm going to learn the Bible and the way you are going to learn it is to go through the scriptures in expository fashion. And in so doing, as we learn God's heart and his desire for you and me, we will add to our faith. So let's go to 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1 if we would where Peter gives us some admonitions and things that we should be actively allowing God to do through our lives and actively participating so that we can be found worthy at his coming, at his appearing. So Peter writes and he says, Wherefore, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. What's the first thing we give someone when they get saved? And I'm not against this, by the way. Okay, I am not against this. I'm just asking the question. When somebody gets saved and you disciple them, what is the, one of the first things you put in their hand besides the Bible? Help me out. It's hard to find these days. Discipleship material, right? And I'm not against that because you know what? Without some knowledge, people are going to go astray. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But what is the first thing Peter says we are? And this was pointed out to me some time back by a godly man, and I appreciate that. What's the first thing that Peter says add to your faith? Knowledge? No. He says virtue. Moral excellence. So anytime we're discipling someone or just growing on our own through the help of others in God's church, really our first priority is moral excellence. Okay, Knowledge is important, and it comes next. But if I just fill my head up with Bible knowledge... Some of you, you know, are really intelligent and probably have, a, uh, I know Brian's got a photographic memory. He could just package scripture away. But if he doesn't mix that with moral excellence, 
Then it could become like the Tsar of Russia who could quote the entire book of John who hated God and killed Christians. Okay. And so moral excellence, that idea of letting Christ live in me and through me. Uh, moral excellence is certainly something that does not, it exists less and less every day. And you and I are in danger. My flesh wants nothing to do with moral excellence. Okay? It wants nothing to do with righteousness and godliness. And so I just challenge us briefly this morning. What are the things that I'm allowing in my eye gate and in my ear gate and in my daily experiences? Do they promote moral excellence? You know, and I'm not saying everything you do has to have a Bible verse on it. Okay? I understand you just you have a job and you have a life and things have to get done. But, you know, uh, the things we look at on the television or bring through on the radio or the things we peruse on the Internet, the things we read about and enjoy learning about, do they promote moral excellence? There's no moral excellence coming out of Hollywood. Zero, zilch, none. Okay. Yeah, you'll find some traces of some godly uh, morals scattered here and there. But all in all, and there's no moral excellence coming out of man's media. There's no moral excellence coming out of, of, of the world's idea of fun and pleasure. And so I've asked myself this in recent days. Chris, you're going to go do this. Does that promote moral excellence? And again, I'm not against getting things done. And I'm not against kicking back and relaxing. Okay? And I'm not saying everything has to be a sermon or you're not spiritual. Okay? But uh, it's just something to think about. It's something to think about. You know, I thought of the, the many things I played with as a child, the toys that I played with that did not promote moral excellence and had a subtle message and uh, in some way impacted me in a negative fashion. It's a, real, it's a reality. It's something we deal with on a daily basis. Why is the world, uh, the church so worldly? Well, because there's so many things that we as Christians allow into our home and into the lives of our kids, for those of us who have them. And... Uh, they bring that into the church and it neg negatively impacts. But not only should we add to our faith virtue, moral excellence, but knowledge. Knowledge. And what is our primary source of knowledge? Well, it's the scriptures. You know, you can be, as my father used to say, you can be as dumb as a sack full of hammers. But if you know the Bible, and if you love the Bible, and if you can use the Bible without being arrogant and puffed up, then you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Yeah, you'll make uh, a lot of mistakes, but uh, if you love God, you'll be all right. The scriptures are our source of knowledge, and this is where we need to be. And this is a constant rebuke to me as I think about these things. How much time do you and I spend in the scriptures? Do we really know our Bible? Now, it's not just a matter for the preacher or the teacher to do a word study for you to explain things, though that is important and it is very helpful. But in reality, you and I are responsible for digging into the Bible. Constantly be asking yourself, why? And go a little deeper as you study the scriptures and don't be content with a surface understanding. Come across a hard passage, don't just blow it off and say, well, I'll never understand the book of Isaiah. I'll never understand what he's talking about, the burden of Moab. What does that mean to me? There's a, mes there's a message in there for you and for me. And uh, the Lord really opened my eyes to a lot of these things as I wrote some commentaries on Old Testament books, one being Isaiah, and I came across passages that were just like, what do I do with this? And as I prayed about them and dug into them, there were great encouragements to be found there. And the word of God is endless and exhaustless. And so it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, where 
are you at in your knowledge? Is it something that you are continually adding to your faith? Adding to your faith. Um, and you never get too old to learn, ever. Add to knowledge, temperance, self-control. Oh, there's a dirty word, isn't it? Uh, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual self-control. What is one of the things that Paul reasoned with, reasoned about with, uh, is it Felix or Festus? I always get those two mixed up. Anyway, as he reasoned about with him concerning righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled. And you think about the lack of self-control in the Roman culture, the, uh, the drunken orgies and the feeding of the flesh and the wickedness and just, uh, if I feel like it, I go get it. And as Paul reasoned with him about these things, that was one of the things that turned him off and scared him and drove him away. And so you and I are constantly fighting this battle of self-control, spiritual self-control, saying, yes, I will do this today because it's the right thing to do. Emotional self-control, not letting my emotions make the choice for me every day. Oh, and I just do not feel like doing that. How many times have you just literally not felt like doing something? I just don't feel like properly disciplining my kids. I just don't feel like cleaning the house. I just don't feel like fixing the car. I just don't feel like going and visiting this person. I just don't feel like sitting down and prepping for Sunday school. I just don't feel like fill in the blank. Well, the world says if you don't feel like it, just go ahead and don't do it. Do what makes you happy. Right? <laughs> do more of what makes you happy. Now, I think there's a slight amount of truth to that in a biblical context, but the world would take it and say, well, it doesn't make you feel good, you don't have to do it. You know, self-control, emotional self-control, physical self-control. You know, when I can't control how I take care of myself, what goes into my mouth, uh, whether or not I exercise myself, whether or not I take care of myself, whether or not whatever the case may be, that is often a reflection of my lack of spiritual and emotional self-control. And so self-control is absolutely vital, and it is something we are to add to our faith. And uh, I've noticed this, and this is just an observation of, a, of someone who doesn't uh, have children. Uh, I've noticed that when there are children that are, don't have a lot of self-control, and I've seen this in numerous churches, um, that is oftentimes a reflection of parents not having self-control. And I know that when I don't have self-control, that it negatively impacts my wife, those I have uh, influence on, and they pick up on that, you know, and so it affects more than just myself, and it affects more than just you. Um, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance to temperance, impatience, endurance, fortitude, uh, that go get, stick to it, go get it, stick to it spirit that says, you know, no matter how hard this is, I'm going to buck up and I'm going to carry this load over a long period of time. And I'm going to uh, be patient and trust that God will help me with this. You know, what is one of the characteristics of Christ's kingdom? A kingdom of patience. It is a kingdom of patience. If you read the book of Revelation, you read about the patience and faith of the saints. Uh, we're told in James, uh, beloved brethren, uh, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. That is actually a command to patience. It's a language we don't use uh, in our American culture. Okay, but it's the idea of let it be so. You can't do anything about it, so get on board. 
Let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God has told patience that she can have you and me, and he's not going to say, well, that's okay, you don't have to get in on this if you don't like it. Um, No, he's told patience, every Christian is yours. Now, whether or not it's a pleasant journey, that's up to me. But uh, patience has been told she can have me. Okay, so let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire. And, And the trials that you and I face, God is teaching me patience, godliness, piety. Uh, add to your faith patience and to patience godliness. Piety is not a dirty word. It doesn't have to mean self-righteously humble. Okay, It has the idea of just wanting to be godlike. And it's not a bad word that we use it that way. Oh, he's so pious. That's really not, that's a mis, misquote of that adjective. It's a good thing to be pious. It means that you're humble, you're ready to admit you're wrong, and you want to do anything it takes to get right with God and people. Okay? And uh, so it's good. Brotherly kindness. We could go on and on about this. Uh, An affection for each other. Uh, Willing to reach out and help each other. Having each other as uh, in a mindset of being family. And being concerned about each other. And then charity. Christ-like love. A self-sacrificing love that transcends uh, any reward. I don't get anything back. doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. And that's how we prevent some of these pitfalls. So what are some of the pitfalls that will keep you and me from being worthy when Christ comes back. Beware of the pitfalls. Well, some of those things are pride. Pride is the number one. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What's the first one? Proud look. And it drives me crazy. Oh, it drives me crazy. <laughs> and I used to do it until somebody pointed out to me it's not in the Bible. That does, and I've said this. Well, it's, I'm proud, but it's the good pride. You show me where good pride is, and I, I, I promise you, I'll get down from here, and I'll never teach here in this pulpit again. There is no such thing in the Bible as good pride. What about pride of country? It doesn't exist. Hang on, before you get too angry, especially those of us who have been in the military, let me explain. Pride of family doesn't exist. Courage is always authorized. Gratitude toward God is always authorized. Uh, faithfulness and steadfastness is always authorized. Walking circumspectly is authorized. Being moral is authorized. Arrogance, never authorized. And you see, that's what's going to separate my Christianity from the world. Anybody can be proud of their country. The, most, um, the, the lost guy in the military who's got a few morals and sense of obligation is proud of his country. Ain't nobody ever going to step on America. I'm going to fight for him until I die. Pride, right? Anybody can do that. I can do that. You can do that. That takes no spirituality. That's just the flesh. But to say, well, my country doesn't deserve this, but God loves me, God loves people, God wants me to serve, God wants me to honor him in this position of a soldier, I'm going to fight for my country and honor God. That takes the spirit. You're not going to find a lost man in the military giving you that speech. Now, I know that might be a shock to some folks, but study your scriptures. You will never find pride in there mentioned in a positive light, not one single time, because it doesn't exist. Pride, good pride, is something we have made up. Basically, it's saying, I'm socially acceptably arrogant. (laughs) I'm socially acceptably arrogant. Uh, Faithlessness is a pitfall to God finding me worthy. Not having faith toward God. Not trusting that he's in control and that he can take care of this situation that I find myself in in this, this current day. Bitterness. Chris Bickish not getting his heart right with people that he's had run ins with. Conflict is inevitable. You losing your temper is inevitable. I hope you never do, but more than likely, there's a 99.999, well, it's called 100% chance, you're going to lose your temper in some form or fashion. 
Maybe it's more subdued than me, but you're going to lose it, and you're going to say things you shouldn't say. You're going to feel things you shouldn't feel, and you're going to hate somebody you shouldn't hate. And you're going to be angry, and when you shouldn't be angry, and you're going to do something you shouldn't do. Have the moral courage to repent, get right with God, and humble yourself and go to that person. And it doesn't matter what their response is. It's, it's irrelevant. It's you doing right before God with the interest of their restoration in mind. See, that's where the difference is. I can go meet up with somebody and say, well, let's not be bitter in order to make myself look good and uphold my arrogant, um, my arrogant um, picture, my arrogant um, image. But it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to go try to make it right with them because I want them to be right with God as well. Now that takes Christ-like love. And hard to do. Discontentment, not being content with what God has given me on a daily basis. And uh, the Lord is continually working on me about being content with the things he has provided. Apathy, apathy spiritual apathy. Well, the preacher will figure it out. Uh, my church is going the right direction. And uh, we've been going this way for 20 years and everything will be the same in the next 10 years. Be careful. Be careful. Um, this is by no means in the Bible because it's just my experience. You probably have had something totally different. Uh, I have found that as we progress in our uh, step closer to the kingdom of Christ that a church lasts about 10 years before garbage starts to really creep in. So be careful. Be very careful. Have your spiritual eyes open. Well, you know, um, we've always had this music. It'll be all right. Be careful. That's one of the chief doors and Satan's trying to get his foot in through CCM, through Gaither, through um, uh, Sovereign Grace, through all kinds of trash. All there's nothing wrong with a little spiritual here and there. Nothing wrong with a little this. Nothing wrong with a little that. Be careful. Be careful. Because I'll tell you what. What you take one distance, the next person will take twice as far. Be careful. Trying to get his foot in through scripture. Doubting scripture. Well, the Bible doesn't really preserved. We found these scrolls. We found that. God can't, you know, we get, this, the Bible can't be trusted. Be careful. Be careful. And we could talk a lot about spiritual apathy. In fact, it's one of the things Paul warned against in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 7. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. That's the characteristic of the lost. Whereas we who are saved, let us not sleep, but let us watch and be sober. Moral corruption. Um, Romans 13, 13. Uh, not in uh, lust and envying, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us walk honestly as in the day, Paul says. And moral corruption is a reality, a possibility for any one of us. Covetousness, laziness, and on and on goes the list, but we must move on. My friends, God wants to do great things to us and through us. And please, I implore with you, and I encourage myself as well, do not cash in the eternal for the temporary. And don't cash in, uh, you know, if we're going in a wrong direction with something in our lives, let's just get it right now. Is it going to hurt the pride? Absolutely. Might have to eat some crow, might have to look stupid. But you know what? It's better to fix it now than ruin it in the future, is it not? And to, be, and to dishonor Christ with uh, things that we do. And so God wants to do great things to us and through us. Pressures grow faith, and faith accesses God's power. And then in verse 12, we see the reason that we should walk worthy. Remember who it is that you and me seek to glorify. Please remember who it is. Christ is the object of the glory, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you 
and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man is, and I know we say this all the time, and it's almost cliche. Man is not the object of the glory. Christ is the object of the glory. How many times do we say that and don't actually follow it? Okay, I'm just going to name a name here, and I'm not trying to offend people. I really am not. But I have learned that there is a limit to preaching in generalities, and sometimes you have to make a direct correlation, or sometimes we just don't get it. Okay? So I'm not trying to pick on anybody, and I'm not mad at anybody, but it is what it is. Um, Jack Hiles, the Hiles Anderson College, man worship, promotes man worship. I was in Seattle. I didn't realize when I was there in the military that there were a lot of churches that were from Jack Hiles University. And uh, there was just this weird, eerie commonality of man worship in every one of the churches that I visited. We clapped for the pastor. We hurrayed him. We yelled at him. We woohoo! And I was like, this is just weird. What is going on here? And uh, I had a guy come to my, my home, and he tried to get me to come to the church. And what do you think? And being much less diplomatic than I am now, I said, well, you're all just a bunch of pastor, pastor worshipers. Wasn't the best way to say it. And... Um, he just took him back. He's like, whoa. He's like, well, if, if my kids didn't worship Jesus, I'd want them to worship me. I was like, well, that's weird. You know, but then as I dug into where he came from and what the common equation was with all these churches, they were all from Jack Hiles University. And Mr. Hiles, you know, you can choose to believe he was saved or whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not here to fight about it. But the truth is that he was never wrong. He was a narcissist. The world would term him a narcissist. And that's sad. And when you have that going on, Christ is not the object of the glory. <laughs> He's not. I'm sorry. Because if something's not right, we ain't going to get it right because we're going to offend so-and-so. Why do you think so many religious leaders go down the tubes and it comes out that they've been immoral? They're messing with this person, messing with that person, abusing their secretary, abusing the kids, yada, yada, yada. Where does all that start? It starts with, I'm not wrong, and I get the glory. That's where it starts with. Uh, what was the popular homeschool group that was... Uh, Calvinistic based, but it had a lot of good things. Start with G. Somebody help me. Guy got in trouble not that long ago, abusing people under his care. Ah, can't think of it. Gothard, thank you. Where does that start? Well, it starts with oh, Jesus not being the glory anymore. Got my little empire. I'm going to build it. We're going to look good on the outside. We're all religious, and they're always very self righteous. We all got a lot of rules. Always got a rule book they're checking off. But Christ is not the object of the glory. Now, before we point fingers at them, understand that spirit is alive and well in me. It's alive and well in you. And we can go that route anytime if we just choose not to honor the Lord and say, well, this is what I want. So again, not trying to cause dissension and trouble and not trying to offend you, but it is what it is. Uh, obedience brings fellowship, my friends, and fellowship brings glory. I love what he says here. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ that his name may be glorified in you and ye in him. All that communion that's going on there. This isn't Jesus saying, get out of my way and pee on. You're only here to glorify me. No, no, no. He wants to glorify himself and in so doing, share the glory with us, not in a sense that we're as good as he is, but in the sense that we have communion with one another. What a beautiful thing that is. He wants us to be with him as we read last week. He wants us to honor him and to have that fellowship with him. And he desired of the Father that where I am, these may be also. What a beautiful thing. God enables us to glorify him in troubles, and he does this by his grace. 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. There are at least three spots that I have found, though there are more. But this passage here, if you, if you underline your Bible or if you like to make notes, this might be a good spot to do it. When Paul says, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he is calling Christ God here. There is a grammatical setup in the Greek text, the TR, from which our New Testament is translated. And it is the concept of when you see the name of God, and there's a definite article in front of it. Now, do you see a definite article here? No, but there is one. It was left out for smoothness, because it would be awkward to say, according to the grace of our, the God. That'd be a little strange, right? So they just said God, but there's a definite article there. When you see that, and then you see a conjunction, and, chi, and then you see Christ's name in the same case as God. It's one and the same. It's one and the same. And here is a spot where that occurs. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Same thing, God. He's calling Jesus God right there. Uh, just, some, just, some, uh, just some weaponage, weaponry for your arsenal. Second Peter chapter 1 where we were just at, we see exactly the same thing occur. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, of the God, literally, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Same grammatical setup. Okay? So here's at least three places where if you're talking to someone and you can take them and, sh- and, and point this out to them and, and hope especially if they know anything about the Greek New Testament or they're enthralled with it, if they're going to be honest and look at the right one, not one that's been butchered by a cult, then you could take them here and say, hey, Jesus is being called God. It's called the Granville Sharp Rule. And here Christ is giving me his grace to do his work. And God's grace, Jesus' grace, God's grace, it's one and the same, enables me to honor him in pressure and to be found worthy at his coming. Because God wants to do great things through me according to the, the, great, uh, the abundance of his goodness. Okay? According to the, the treasure of his goodness. The work of faith with power. God's mind toward me is not ne- uh, negative or hurtful. Though the process can hurt because it's hurtful to the flesh to be sanctified. <laughs> but God has no bad intentions toward me whatsoever. Absolutely none. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, these verses. And we do pray that you would continue your work of sanctification in us. Don't let us get comfortable. Don't let us think, Lord, that we're on top and that we've got this thing down because there's always something to learn. There's always room to grow. There's always a need to be met. We thank you for your mercy and kindness. I pray for the, your spirit to be with us in the morning service. Please give pastor wisdom and direction. Help us to honor you in our hearts as we hear and receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.